Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 252, recorded November 12th, 2016. So as promised, we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're actually doing two books, uh, each from a different line. So we're doing Waypoint number one, which is a recent IDW anthology series that they just started up. Right. And then we're doing New Visions number two, which is the photo novels that uh, John Byrne has been doing for the last couple of years or yeah. year or so. He's been keeping himself pretty occupied with this. So I assume this is the only thing he's really producing now. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this has to take a lot of time. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Um, and you can definitely see more and more examples of where he's uh, getting more fancy about creating new things that didn't exist in the original series footage from the pieces that were available from the original series footage. Like there's a scene right. inside of a uh, space station that looks very much like he pieced it together from uh, from bits and bobs from uh, original series footage. Right. And because I don't know every actor that's ever been on the show, um, I do keep thinking that I'm seeing faces that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm wondering if he's just inserting random people to fill out the rest of the cast. Well, that a good example of what you bring up, we'll go into more details when we get to the, the books, but the commander of the space station, I have never seen that guy before in Star Trek that I recall. Um, perhaps I'm wrong on that, but I think he is somebody, a, a totally new person that Byrne brought into this, but I, you know, I don't know that for sure, sure. but I, I don't recognize him from anything else. Right, but I don't fault him for it because it's, it's oh, kind of no. cool because we need, no, I... need new faces and might as well bring in his buddies or whoever he's getting these <laughs> uh, pictures from. Yeah, I am not faulting him at all. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great stuff. But it is kind of funny. We're only doing two books, yet we have four stories, so each one of these books has two stories. Um the the John Byrne one has one big story and one tiny little story, but the the Waypoint one seemed pretty pretty evenly split between a Next Generation and a original series story. Yeah, I think the Ahura one, the Ahura one seems shorter, but right. maybe it isn't. I didn't count the number of pages. Yeah, me either. So, anyway, so two books, four stories. You ready to get started? Let's do it, man. Cool. Okay. So I do Waypoint, the two Waypoint stories. And by the way, um, I think it's probably better if we do the first story and then comment on it, and then do the second story synopsis and comment on it, right? Agreed. Okay, let's let's do, let's do it that way. Okay, so um, cover A, there's two copies to this, or two covers to this one. Cover A shows Picard, Riker, Troy, Geordi, and Data on an Enterprise-D transporter pad in mid-transport. The men all have phasers and tricorders, but Deanna does not appear to have any uh, away team equipment. 
The Star Trek 50th Anniversary swoosh logo is in the upper right-hand corner. Cover art by Mark Lemming, or Laming, L-A-M-I-N-G. The retailer incentive cover is a photo uh, of the original Uhura, Michelle Nichols, on the original Enterprise Bridge, uh, looking foxy. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a third cover. Yeah, subscription cover. cover. Right, yeah. The third cover is a subscription cover and features Kirk and Spock up front with the rest of the bridge crew behind them. And behind them, and on the top of the cover, is the Enterprise, uh, an Enterprise shuttlecraft, perhaps the Galileo 7, uh, a Klingon D7, and Khan's uh, sleeper ship, the Botany Bay, oddly enough. And by the way, that doesn't actually make it into this issue, uh, the Botany Bay, or the Klingon for that matter. D7. Okay, so uh, story one of two. Uh, The first one is called Puzzles, and the writer is... Oh, by the way, um, the issue overall has a creative team, which is editor Sarah Gatos, production design by Neil Yataki, publisher is Ted Adams. And then the two stories have specific uh, writers and, and art people. So, for Puzzles, the first story, the writer is Donnie Cates, art by Mac Chatter, colors by Jason Lewis and D. Cunifey, letterer and world designs. The mighty and sleek Enterprise F intercepts a huge white cube that has just popped into Federation space. Smooth-sided and huge, Sensor analysis indicates it is incredibly advanced and thousands of years old. Further scans pick up 200 life forms inside that are dying. A repeating signal is emitting from the ship, but so far it has proven difficult to translate. On the Enterprise's approach, the cube's shields went up, so they cannot transport into the craft. Time is running out for the, for the strange ship's crew, but they can't physically get to the ship, and the only communication so far has been unintelligible. Captain Jordy LaForge, at the con, asks Data if there is any progress decrypting the signal. Captain LaForge thinks how uploading Data's consciousness into the Enterprise's mainframe has increased his power immensely to the point that he likely could run the ship if he wanted to. Four holographic datas are manning all the bridge stations. Elsewhere on the ship, a more conventional human crew runs the rest of the ship. One of the holographic datas responds. He now understands why Starfleet has had such a hard time translating the signal so far. It was never meant to be received by humans of any kind. Finally, data reports the signal is the prime directive. Data states that the ship is a Federation vessel, but from our distant future. Captain LaForge says that if that's true, they are preventing us from helping them because of the Prime Directive? They go back and forth about the meaning of the Prime Directive, but LaForge says that there's a Starfleet crew in that ship and they need our help. They are not going to die on his watch. Data reports that he is directly talking to the future ship's computer. Data stops speaking to LaForge, and he stops moving. Data finds 
a manifestation of himself in the ship from the future. He begins a conversation with the computerized intelligence that is the captain of this vessel. The captain calls his ship the time ship Sakurazal. The captain makes it clear he wants no help from Data in LaForge. Data switches into debate mode a la Kirk and makes a case for letting them save his crew. The captain says he will not be the first Starfleet captain to break the Prime Directive. Data asked the captain to access the records of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, former captain of the Enterprise D. Data finds himself immediately sent back to the Enterprise. He reports to Geordi, the captain of the timeship, has initiated, initiated a self-destruct countdown. Data cannot stop the countdown, but says he thinks he can drop her shields. They execute a plan to drop the Shakurazal's shields, beam the surviving crew over, and vacate the area at high warp to avoid being taken with the blast from the self-destruction. Captain LaForge confidently says, Engage. The shields are down, and a transport initiates. However, the AI captain fights the transport. If this goes on much longer, the crew will be torn apart. Data disappears from the bridge, and a few minutes later appears on the Enterprise view screen. To save the crew, Data transferred his consciousness to the timeship and fully took over its operating system. The transport will now take place, and Data will be lost again, saving others. LaForge protests, but Data is quoting the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and proceeds with his stated plan. The Enterprise leaves just in time as the starship explodes. Later, on Earth, Geordi is standing before an investigation tribunal and has at, that has Admiral Picard as a member. Geordi is dumbfounded why the tribunal is even taking place. At the end of it, Admiral Picard asks Geordi, for suggestions what to do with the 200 time-displaced engineers. Geordi says he does have an idea. Sometime later, Geordi is working with a crew of engineers on the remaining, remaining pieces of Data's robotic body. The end. So you said it was which Enterprise? Excellent. Let's discuss that. That's one of the things I want to discuss. Because you know, in your synopsis, did you say E? I said F. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Why would I say E? I don't know. I... No, I said Why F. Why would you say F? Oh, okay. Well, let's discuss. Uh, this is one of the things I wanted to bring up because I'm really into, like, uh, like uh, equipment, props, and ships. Love ships. So let's discuss, shall we? Okay. So, um, okay, the Enterprise F. We have never seen the Enterprise F in any official canon uh, video production. Uh, it's been mentioned in uh, Expanded Universe, sure. And, of course, there are versions of it in uh, Star Trek Online. In fact, uh, through Star Trek Online, there is an official version of F uh, that was selected. And I don't know whether that really goes beyond Star Trek Online, but at least within the world of Star Trek Online, there is an official version of the Enterprise F. And that official... Oh, yeah? You know, I was going to say, and does it look like this? Yes and no. So let's talk about that. Compare and contrast time. So, uh, um, 
Okay, so the Enterprise F, the official one from Star Trek, at least within Star Trek Online, um, its nacelles, the pylons that connect the nacelles to the engineering, the secondary hull, is swept back. This Enterprise in this, um, in this comic, the nacelles are swept forward. So not the same thing. So there's a difference there. But if you take a look from the top and you take a look at the, um, the saucer section going into the engineering section where there's, uh, well, basically there's, from the top, there appears to be absolutely no difference. It just goes from the saucer section and kind of slims down directly into the engineering section. So even more so than the Enterprise E, it's continued that march towards there really being no physical structural difference between the uh, saucer section and the secondary hull. So really it's like one thing pretty much. So right. there's something that does match the um, the two ships. Uh, I will say that the that the Star Trek Online version, the uh, saucer section is a little bit more of a like an arrowhead kind of shape to it. So the very right. front has a little bit more of a point to it, streamlines into more of a point. Where in the comic book, it's very rounded in the front. So very flat, right, right. Um, and then I, I, I have, I really haven't seen a good picture of the bottom of it, you know, from the bottom, there's very good drawings from the top in the comic book. So that's pretty much what I'm going by, but the underside of the engineering section is very unique. And if I was able to get a better view of that in the comic book, I could definitely make a, a forensic identification. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now G I've seen multiple versions of G also, but again, there is a version of G in Star Trek Online, uh, which I may not be the official G, or maybe it is. I don't know. But um, yeah. Uh, but, right. But but how could it be G? I mean, right. I, I, di- I didn't do the same kind of comparisons to G that I did with F, just because of the fact that Jordy looks old. You know, but are, are we? You know, I don't think we're blowing through starships that fast, are we? Uh, I don't think so. That we would be up to G already. So correct me if I'm wrong, though. Um, in in Star Trek Countdown, was was E still the one going that Data was the uh, captain of? I I'd have to bring it up. I'd have to pull it up again. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. I I, I think it was probably E, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Because I'm pretty I, sure I'm pretty sure this is the first time I remember anything even looking beyond e agreed in the comics comic book yeah right i agree with you um my assumption was that it was uh, f as well but it it doesn't it's weird because the artwork isn't very uh clear yeah as to it it never shows a clear picture of the enterprise and and in fact at times it almost looks like it contradicts itself a little bit because Mm -hmm. there's the shots where it looks like maybe the nacelles kind of hang low, lower right. than the, the the saucer section, right? Uh, and lower <laughs> than the engineering section, which mm-hmm. is unique for a enterprise. Um, right. So yeah, I was I was unclear, and then when you said it, you know, just just clearly, I was like, oh man, he knows something I don't. <laughs> Not necessarily, but uh, you know, just from how old Jordy is, and it obviously not being E. 
you know, from that alone, it's got to be F. The only thing is, I, I think that the artist set, was aware of the Star Trek Online version, uh, but didn't quite want to do it that way, but came close. So maybe he had inspiration from that, but then maybe there were some things he didn't like about it, so he came up with this design, which is close, but not the same. All right, well, since you brought up Star Trek Online, and uh-huh. it... And it has its continuity. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure this does not fit into the true Star Trek canon online. timeline of anything. I, I really yeah. think these are supposed to be uh, one-offs own. all on okay. its own. Yeah, but – okay, so you think this is E then? Uh, just another I take on E? Might, I think it's supposed to be F maybe, but not not an F that we'll ever see again. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's not like there is official canon video that came from any kind of movie or TV producer that said what it looks like, like the J. I mean, we know what J looks like, but we really don't know what G or F looks like. Right. In canon. I mean, true right. canon. Right. So, so yeah, any, anybody making a story, yeah, they, they could probably make it look any way they want. Yeah, but I'm not limiting it to just the the look of this enterprise. Uh, the story itself, Data being a um, oh yeah. computer program and a futuristic Federation board cube. I, I don't know <laughs> why is it a cube. I don't know. Uh, artist choice, um, writer's choice. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was the Borg at first. Of course you did. It's yeah. a cube. Yeah, that's what we're used to. I know, but it, it was it's stark white with absolutely no detail on the outside. All right, so it's an Energon cube from Transformers. No, no, I, I, I don't even know what that is. So an Energon cube, I, I don't know what that is. Oh, you never watched the old Transformers cartoons? No, I was too old for that. <sighs> You're never too old for Transformers. Well, I was kind of beyond that. It's like a lot of the things, like, you know, Grayskull, or not Grayskull, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what He-Man, and yeah, the I Masters of the Universe, or whatever. That, no, nah, I, was, I, was, I was more or less an adult I by know. the time that came up. So, no, I don't know what that is. But that's well, what it said I, to you? Uh, well, that's, no, I thought Borg Cube, I thought, oh, it's a, it's a ghostly Borg Cube. Yeah. <laughs> if Data can be a construct in all the, all the in every position on the bridge, then why can't uh, the Borg have their own holographic uh, depiction of a ship or something like that? I don't know. I don't know yeah. where, what I thought they were doing, but yeah, I kept waiting for them to draw the parallels to the Borg, and then they never did. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you, you talk about continuity. We know there's stories which are probably closer to canon where uh, Data is the captain. So right. obviously that's not happening here. Jordy's the captain, and Data is kind of like the Doctor. He's like some holographic thing. So, um, so that they don't really talk about a lot of details how how Data went from being destroyed uh, at the end of Nemesis, and then there being uh, what B B four B four, and then. In this story where he's uploaded into the computer and I guess there's no physical 
version of him. No. Okay, so what, what did uh, what, Jordy did say something like about ooh the physical parts wore out or something? And yeah, then... when when the physical body started to deteriorate, there you right. they, there you go. Uh, they uploaded his consciousness into right. the computer itself. So it sounds like B four must have been B four, right? Yeah. And so they uploaded whatever B four became um, under the tutelage of Picard or whatever. Um, into the uh, the Enterprise mainframe. So, my question is, if you can transfer a consciousness into the Enterprise mainframe, then couldn't you also transfer it to, I don't know, a really big hard disk and have a backup? A backup, right. <laughs> well, I mean... I, that's, that's my argument with uh, almost every episode of Voyager. When they're like, oh, we're going to lose the doctor's programming. Exactly. Like, you, nobody made a copy? Well, yeah. Wasn't he copied? Wasn't he copied into the um, the little portable holographic projector or whatever thing he wore? No, he, he was actually just transferred. They don't actually copy him. Well, oh, okay. So it's a move, <laughs> not a copy. Okay. But it's like, why? Why is it a move? I... I on my primitive computer in front of me, I can choose to do a move or a copy. And the only difference is that I either delete the original copy in the original source or I leave it. That's the only difference. Right. But you're not dealing with something as sophisticated and high-tech as a holographic programming. Granted. However, if you can take everything that is data from one piece of hardware and transfer him to another piece of hardware, then you can leave the copy on the source. Uh, I don't see how that can't be the case. Well, because you, tra- you can't copy a soul, Ken. Oh, God. And that's what it is. It's a soul. Well, okay. We know it isn't, but <laughs> not flesh and blood. So, no, I, I agree. It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Yeah. And Data keeps dying, though. I mean, what? Why do they have to yeah. keep doing that? So he sacrifices himself again. Mm-hmm. So, like, at, ne- at the end of Nemesis. I don't know. It just seems like they're using that I don't know why they have to do it so much. I know. And then he always comes back. But they can't do it in the logical way we all think of, because we're all computer users. They've got to do it through some unlikely convoluted way, because there has to still be some gravity to data dying. You know, it's like, oh, this has got to be a big sacrifice on Data's part, uh, even though in reality, uh, here you go, Data, restore. <laughs> Let's do a restore on Data. Okay, there you go. I mean, especially now that he lives in the in a Starship computer. I mean, is right. is is Data possibly in all Starship computers? Like the Doctor is in all Starship computer. I mean, Starship. Uh, yeah, but. But not only Voyager, you, we again, know he's in those, E those also. Those are just copies of, of yeah, the Doctor. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're copies. Not him. I know, but wouldn't no, it be cool to have Data <laughs> in every starship? That'd be great. Well, I don't know. I feel like being a human, he would be taking one of my jobs that well, I potentially have in the future. Okay, let's talk about that. That's another topic. Data can run the entire computer. And... I yeah. propose that in multiple places in this story, Data wasn't even waiting for Geordi to make a decision. He just did it. 
Oh, he just did it. Exactly. And quite frankly, in a lot of ways, Data seemed more capable of making the decision, faster and doing it. So what the heck was Jordy doing there? Which I think is what uh, what Picard was talking about when he was saying, you know, uh, you know, what were you doing when he was doing all this? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with what, what Picard was saying. I don't agree that it coming from Picard would be I, – I don't see Picard being the one saying that stuff. No, but, not at uh, all. He has a point. He had a point, though. Well, he had a point, but in the end, Jordy could Jordy couldn't control data. Right. He he tried to get uh to get data back from the edge on that, and data just wouldn't pay attention. So if you have this intelligent and powerful uh a program, which is benevolent, no two ways about it, we all love data, but when Clearly, the human lost control of the situation. And that, in the end, is kind of the danger of something as sophisticated as data, which is one of the reasons why Roddenberry never always had people in control, not computers. Right. No, I I thought that it was good because it was showing that, you know, maybe – Maybe that tribunal was like, maybe we did put a little too much trust into having a, a, any type of artificial intelligence just control the ship. Right. However, no. let me also say this. There was a point in time where they could have backed off and allowed the prime directive, which they're all sworn to die for, right, in theory. They could have let that stand. But Geordi, the human made the decision, no, we are going to save that crew. It's a Starfleet crew. I don't care what the uh, the computer captain says. We're saving those people. So that was a decision point where he was in charge of things. The human made the decision, and uh, Data carried it out. There's, right. there's another way to look at it. Well, regardless, we don't have a data anymore. He's completely gone. Even Until if they put that the next story. Together, <laughs> as soon as they put that body together, it still won't be data. Yeah. It will be before because his consciousness is out of that body. Oh, okay. Can you remind me of this part? Okay. Wasn't there something in Nemesis where some copy of data was downloaded into before or something? So somehow before and data were in the same before body what didn't something like that happen um, no data they uploaded data's memories into before to see if that would help uh kickstart his um intelligence so that he wasn't okay. like a little baby anymore okay and then that didn't work he was still you know a little you know had little child mind yeah but then at the end, he was whistling the song that Data was singing at the beginning. So right. Okay, fine. Then there but, was like the little, oh, he's, he might still be there. Yes. And then it was the countdown, which then said uh, before he's gone and Data took over his body, which which I always there thought was go. a little harsh that they just erased over uh, Data's – or before his consciousness altogether. Yeah. Okay, so that's but the they point. Did it. So, so Data, mm-hmm. Data basically was transferred into before, although he was – at least the beginning, you know, 
ancillary to the B4 personality or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so they did copy data <laughs> someplace. There was a, there was a standard for they were set for that even then, even in that movie. So, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, right, I, it which just, is why it just I kind of seems... liked it when they did it. Oh, go ahead. You, you liked how they did that in the movie, in Nemesis. I liked how they did it in, um, not ne- not necessarily Nemesis, but um, I liked having Data back in Countdown, even oh, yeah. though yeah, it meant that they killed somebody. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I love Data, so anytime they're gonna bring him back, I'm gonna be happy. Yeah, I just didn't really like what they did here, where now he's just a computer and and you know. Ten different people at the same time. Well, yeah. So they've they've taken the idea of data, and they kind of merged him with the doctor. The idea of the doctor. And you keep bringing up the doctor. Yeah, I it is. I think it was. It reminded me more of Doctor Manhattan, where he, <laughs> he still was one consciousness spread out over multiple bodies, but it was still him. Whereas the doctor is the each one's independent each one only has the memories that were programmed into him at that time anything after that part is just that one program's experiences whereas data seems like he's one hive mind every 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 depiction of data is all the same data and it all ultimately goes to the same mind okay well it right? It it may say that or may give you the impression of that, but I think they are independent. Mm. I think I think they are independent minds to some degree, uh, but they're all communicating with each other and coordinating their activities. Which if how much? Were, if, if they were independent minds, then losing one of them wouldn't be that detrimental. Okay, because but you just lost one copy of the mind. Okay, well. Uh, they, look at their uni- look at the data's uniforms. I would propose that they all have their own um, holographic pr- uh, projectors built into the uh, uniform. So on the one end, you got your normal Starfleet badge, and on the other end, you have that little kind of like uh, was it uh, five square thing at the border between the red and the black parts of the uniform. I think that's a holographic emitter. Uh, kind of built into the uniform, and hmm. um, it, okay, so so maybe there, okay, so maybe there is one mind, but each of those holographic instances of data are all independently working. You know, maybe it's multitasking. <laughs> you know, it's a multi-threaded uh, mainframe. Uh, which, quite frankly, the whole concept of mainframe is kind of ridiculous in the future. I mean, we're already moved way beyond that um, with distributed processing. But, yeah, whatever. Whatever. The, I- the idea in the end is you're supposed to think there's something to be lost here because whatever was data supposedly left the Enterprise computer and completely moved over to the uh, the future time right. ship. Which is why all the holographic data has disappeared at the same time. Yeah. Now you keep talking about that little that little uh, bar in between the, I, I don't the keep, red and the black. I don't keep talking about. It. I just talked about it I once. Know, you brought it, but you brought it up. Yeah, man. I did. Right. 
in Star Trek Online, uh, the, the uniforms of that time frame, that's where they had their insignia pips. So, Well, why doesn't Jordy have that? Exactly, that was my point. Because when I was reading it, I saw that Data had them, and I'm like, oh, he's he's got commander bars. So that's kind of – or captain bars. That's interesting. Oh, and then it wasn't okay. until you brought it up that I looked at Jordy, and he doesn't have it. So No. Not at uh, all. I don't. Maybe maybe these datas are still wearing the old uniforms from uh, Star Trek Online. <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. I didn't. Okay, so I I've really never played Star Trek Online. I didn't realize that they moved the pips there. But I right. was trying to say, well, why is that? What is that? Why doesn't Jordy have one of those things? And right, right away, it said to me, okay, portable holographic generator. But I guess yeah, I, just... I guess while you're on the bridge, you don't need that. It's just when yeah, you leave the bridge. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah, anyways. This uh, this this brings up more questions than it's going to answer. Yeah. But still, if I was a commander, you know, or a even a science officer, right. And now on the Enterprise, I'm just what cleaning the toilets. I I don't know because I I don't have a job on the Enterprise because Data's doing it. 24 hours a day. Data. Well, on the break. Well, okay, yeah. Okay. Well, I had. I, I think they. I think Jordy said Data's on the bridge. He is the bridge right. crew. He's not right. the rest of the ship crew. He's not the engineer. He's probably well, he not said, the guy said, cleaning toilets. Right. There, there, there's a human. There's a human crew, you know, doing all the stuff off the bridge. Right. But why? I mean. I don't know. That's what, that's my point. Uh, and, the... and I'm, I'm trying to say it in a jokingly manner. And okay, I'm not coming okay, across, okay, but, okay. but if I lived in that time and I saw that you could just clone data a million times over and he's suddenly going to be on every bridge and every starship, uh, that would kind of tick me off a little bit because now I don't have a job. The highest I could ever reach is whatever, whatever rank before you're ever able to get to the bridge. Okay. Well, that's unless I become yeah. captain. Okay. Yeah, but Scotty's fine with being in in engineering section. So I suppose it depends upon what your goals are. And by the way, I I think they're trying to say there's only one data, really, and he's in this starship's mainframe. He's not in the Excalibur's mainframe. You know, this is the only ship that has data. Right. I think they're continuing trying to say that. To your point... That doesn't make sense, and you should be able to copy him everywhere. I agree. I agree. Anyways, um, overall, did you like the story? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, one thing I like about it, I one, one thing I like about any of the post-Nemesis stories is I love that crew. I'm always interested to see what happened next or what could have happened next if they continued making the movies. Um, And and I just love that kind of stuff. Uh, Seeing Captain LaForge, that's great. Um, Seeing the next Enterprise, I love that. Um, Is it a perfect story? No, it's not a perfect story. But I I, I enjoyed it. I like this this story best best of the ones we've read uh, today. Oh, out of the out of the other ones yeah, for today. Right. That's that's mm. my personal favorite choice. Um, right. I, I like the Kirk story, the big one in the, in the next comic. Um, 
two, but I still like this one better. I agree with you. I like this one in that it gives you something that could potentially be after Nemesis because that that time frame is very interesting to me. But because it's so out there, and yeah. I know that it it's not considering itself canon. Right. It's its own little story that won't ever tie in anything else. Mm-hmm. It just kind of diminishes it a little bit for me. Yeah. I, I would have rather it tried to be more in line with you know, the novels or even, you know, the Voyager episodes and things like that that showed a Captain Geordi or the even the, the Countdown books, which in my mind I kind of consider as canon because it right. explained why uh, Spock went back in time and things like that. So right. I don't know. That's my only complaint is that it, it just tries too hard to not be in any of the other existing continuities. Right. Because as you know, Countdown – Jordy's not in the Federation anymore. Um, Data's captain of the Enterprise, and um, Picard is an ambassador on Vulcan. Yep. So he's not an admiral. He's an ambassador. And this timeline cannot, cannot exactly coincide. Yep. So, like I said, it just so, too many things uh, took it out for me. Okay. Well, and again, it's I I I don't know whether this is indicative of what we're going to see in waypoints, but maybe. Part of the point of waypoints is it's going to be more independent, and maybe you can explain it all away that it's actually a parallel dimension or something. But um, yeah, we're, this is probably not the last time we're going to see something that doesn't automatically fit into uh, right. current continuity. So years ago, Dark Horse Comics came out with a line of uh, called Star Wars Tales, uh-huh. and it was. It was a pretty meaty comic that came out like every other month or something like that. And it had like four or five little short stories. Their big selling point was is that these five or six stories in every episode or issue can be all over the, the Star Wars timeline. And they're not necessarily all considered canon. So we would have one where, you know, Leia's telling, retelling the story of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker to one of her sons. But. Mm-hmm. She's talking about how Luke's hand came crawling back and all this stuff that <laughs> obviously didn't really happen. But it was just, you know, a neat little story that didn't necessarily have to fit in the continuity, which which I liked, yeah. you know. But they were always very clear. They had a little thing at the beginning that says this is – they called it Infinities. This is an Infinities. It, it does not fit in the continuity. Whereas this one, they don't tell you that, but you just have to assume that this is not the real post-Nemesis timeline right but anyways i'm enjoying it and i know that the next issue is going to be supposedly in the vein of gold key so i'm like really looking forward to that one cool and talk about poster child for not necessarily canon gold key exactly Exactly. (laughs) not necessarily (laughs) period not anyway all right anything else for this one no let's let's get to the next one all right Okay, so the second story is called Day Lily, and the story-specific creative team is uh, writer and art by the same person, Sandria Lance. Letterer is the same as the last story, and world designs. So she must, yeah, art is taken care of. Penciling, uh, colors, everything. So Sandria Lance is uh, doing it all. It's like a burn. 
project. Ahura finds herself on an alien world all alone and sporting a much trimmer frame than I have ever seen before. She hears garbled communication coming out of her communicator. Something about a transporter accident. Giving up on being able to call for a beam-out, Ahura heads off in search of the rest of the landing party and a clearing where her communicator might be able to get out a cleaner transmission. She comes to a clearing and is able to make contact with Mr. Scott on the ship. He tells her a strange storm on the planet interfered with the transport cycle and the whole party is spread all over the desert. He tells her to stay where she is and when the storm subsides they will bring her up. After the channel is closed, Ahura hears a rustling, and a strange alien comes cautiously out from the bushes. It walks on four legs, and is about the size of a St. Bernard dog. However, its face and eyes are more insectoid than mammalian. It has antennae with which she caresses Ahura's face with. This is kind of freaking Ahura out a bit, and she's got her phaser ready. But finally, she decides the creature is not aggressive, uh, at least for now. Rain starts to fall, and the alien helps Ahura to bend some branches over to provide shelter for them. Ahura interacts with the creature and discovers it can sing and has great manual dexterity. It even has hands that include an opposable thumb. They weave mats to sit on from local plant matter. Ahura attempts to teach the alien a few words in English, but gives up. The call from Scotty tells her they are ready to transport her back up to the ship. As she is dematerializing, Ahura tells her new friend to wait, and she'll be right back. After waiting a little while, the alien gets back on all fours and walks back into the jungle. The End So it's a it's a plant, right? Uh you could think of it as a plant. I think it has insectoid eyes and it walks around on all fours like a mammal. Right. So and really it does stand up straight. So you know when she first comes in and I call it a she because I think it is, but who knows. When it comes into the clearing, it's on fours and when it leaves the clearing, it's on all fours. But in the middle, it is standing upright. Right. I think that what they're trying to say is that it's evolving to mimic her. So it, when it walks in, it doesn't have a mouth. And then it kind of touches her face, and then it, like, starts to have a mouth. Ooh, interesting. And then as she's, like, needing to move that branch down, that's when it changes its body type so that it can stand on its back legs. And then when she's weaving... Uh, he doesn't have hands, and then it like shows like his hands kind of morphing into fingers. Actually, it's a very so good he, point. So that it can weave, and then so I thought it just kept depicting how quickly it was evolving, just hanging out with her, so that when she leaves, he almost looks human. Yeah, like a plant like human. Yeah, and then when she's gone, he devolves back into it's whatever it was form. that he was at the beginning. That's a very good yeah. point. Because looking at it when it came in on all fours, they very clearly show a shot where you see its front feet. And its front feet kind of sort of has like maybe four fingers coming out, but it looks it doesn't look like a normal hand. It does look more right. plant-like. That's a very good point, Donovan. I didn't notice that. 
which makes it all the sadder that she leaves and then he just devolves back to whatever it was that he was before. Right. Or not. I mean, if that's the creature's nature, who's to say what's better? Yeah, but but he liked her. They were bonding. They were friends. Or she liked her. Right. He or she doesn't know. I don't know. Yeah. It seemed more female-like, but who knows? Maybe that's because it was just mimicking her. Yeah, I think it was just mimicking her. Yeah. That's a, oh, man, I wish I would have noticed that. That's that's very good. No, you're right. But I did think it was odd that when she's... And I don't know if it was the montage of her trying to teach you how to speak. We just don't see all the panels. But it's weird because she's, like, pointing to a rock. This is a rock. Mm -hmm. And then it shows the creature, and it's saying, easy. <laughs> so are you saying... Is it... And then she says communicator, and it says afternoon. It Flower. says a little. It says a afternoon. Right. So yes. what I was clear is, was it really saying these easy these English words that are different than the English words she's trying to teach it, or was it supposed to be a montage where she taught him how to say rock, t taught him how to say easy, taught him how to say communicator and afternoon, flower, and little. That we just didn't see the back and forth, but it was more – if it was supposed to be implied that she taught him all of that. Yeah, you see we, what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying because definitely at the end of that little attempt, Ahura says, all right, I give up. Let's try again later. So she's acting like the thing is stupid. But did, did it actually hear her say afternoon? or easy, or little earlier in the conversations, and she just no. picked it up? Yeah, that's what I'm so saying. So how the heck is it... I'd be pretty impressed that it was, say, it was saying those English words. After never hearing them, ever. Right. Yeah. It's like if my dog started saying something, and then I'm like, say communicator, and he says, afternoon, and I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. <laughs> you <know? laughs> no, you'd be pretty impressed. Exactly. Yeah, that's oh, that's yeah, that's weird. That is weird. Anyway, it's it's, it's good I seeing Ahura again. It was it was just different. Yeah, it was different, and it's good seeing Ahura in something solo. Right. Um. I think they drew her too skinny again, a little bit too much like uh, the J.J. Abrams version. But because Ahura was always a little bit thick. I mean, she, you know, a full-figured woman. I thought, I don't know. I don't know. She, she looked, she looked okay for me. Oh, she looked fine. For me too, but not Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> but the face is good. The face is very accurate. Good job there. Right. So when she was trying to get that red leaf to come down, did she? What did she wrap around the top of the leaf that she was pulling on? That's a very it good question. Like... It looks like string or something. White string of some kind. Where'd she get that from? Well, and here's what I thought it might be. And, and, and if it is, it's horrible. But in the panel before, oh, when, when it's from raining, her hair? No, her hand is near its inside of its. She's like petting it or something. Oh, you don't know that. Creature. Well, she's petting the creature when it starts raining. And he has these long antennae things. So oh, she didn't rip that off his head. Has this long stringy oh thing. my gosh, you're saying that, that Ahura ripped its antennae off its head? I don't know. 
I would hope not, but I don't know. What <laughs> Excuse me, on. do you mind if do you mind if I take this part of your body? I need to use this to get the rain off me. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Before, oh my gosh. Well, and these these fern things that she's trying to pull over, they they touch the ground, so she could go at the base and and you know get to the top of this fern to you know bend it down the rest of the way. I don't understand why she's trying to loop this string at the top and and pull it down that way well you'd think she has to anchor it off onto something uh like tie it off to a rock or something to keep it down and i don't i i don't understand how they did that quite frankly right uh and and you'd need something like with a longer piece of uh of 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 thread or something rope or something or antennae yeah, all the way. Yeah, so so they so bottom line is they didn't explain it, but fine, they just moved on. Right. Yeah, it was just an excuse for him to evolve into a bipedal creature. Yeah, to help. Right. So, anyways, I, I thought it was interesting. I in the end, I felt bad for the creature that he evolved to be her friend, and then she doesn't ever come back. No, but kind of reminds me of Futurama when the dog just sets out in oh. front of the pizza parlor for Fry. Wait for Fry, yeah. Until he dies. Yeah, but quite yeah. That it's yeah. You could interpret it that way, but I interpret it like, oh, okay, you're gone. Okay, I'm gonna go back to doing what I was doing. No problem. Right. So you don't know. I mean, all right. any kind of um, facial characteristics that it may have gained that could communicate what it was thinking or what it was feeling was all gone by the time it went back into the forest. Right. It de-evolved. Yeah. Yep. Or maybe not de-evolved, but just became more of its own... became less human, which isn't necessarily de-evolving. Right. It might just be a it might just mimic whatever's around, so exactly that might just be part of its normal physiology. Right. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. No, but it it was a nice little story. They didn't have to explain everything, right? Okay, I did like the uh, heating up the rock in order to. That's <laughs> right. That always brings a smile to me. Yes, it's the traditional settings on the uh, on the phaser: stun, <laughs> disintegrate, heat rock. Exactly, love it. <laughs> All right, you ready to get into the big one? Let's let's hit the big one, man. Man. All right, so this is Star Trek New Visions number two, which is entitled Times Echo. Uh, this has a published date of 2014. Um, I don't see a month. Oh, there it is, August 14th. August 2014. So it's a photo novel with the photo montage and story being by John Byrne. Uh, based on characters created by Gene Roddenberry and edited by Chris Royale. In case you haven't seen these, um, it looks like an old episode of the show. He's gone in and photoshopped a bunch of uh, visuals from various episodes to make its own story. It's it's really quite clever. All right, so the cover shows a fiery Enterprise. Um, it, It takes up most of the cover. And then all around the Enterprise in little sporadic panels, we see a depiction of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty. Uh, one shot of the bridge crew all at their stations and kind of a, a red haze as if they were on fire as well. 
And then last, we see a little panel that says plus, and then it has a picture of Ensign Rand. So the story starts off with a deep space monitoring station number 18 uh, detecting a mysterious message from the Galactic Core. Upon checking and rechecking, the commander of the station makes the decision to contact Captain Kirk and the Enterprise and have them travel here to take a listen. Once the Enterprise arrives, they all listen to what seems to be a very old and very degraded message. It seems to be coming from Captain Kirk himself, but somehow it's over 1,000 years old. Kirk plans to go into the Galactic Core to investigate. After a brief conversation with Starfleet Command, they are on their way. As they enter the Galactic Core, Ahura gets another message where she's able to decipher more of the original message uh, from the 1,000-year-old Kirk, and it seems that it's coordinates. They follow them, and they find a very hostile world where life can only exist on the equator. And even then, it's very harsh due to the incredibly high radiation. They scan the surface, and they actually find what seems to be the wreckage of the USS Enterprise, NCC-1701. Or at least they see the engineering section and its nacelles. Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and Spock travel by shuttlecraft down to the planet. Once there, they discover that all the useful parts have been scavenged, and it seems that the ship has been here much longer than just a thousand years. Sulu contacts them from the ship and says that they've found the saucer section not much further away, so Kirk flies the shuttlecraft over there to investigate. Once there, they see what looks like buildings around the downed saucer section. Once they land and they disembark the craft, they are stunned into unconsciousness. Kirk wakes in a throne room with a hooded figure while the rest of the crew find themselves in a jail cell. Kirk is told by the hooded figure that they are all descendants of the Enterprise crew and that Kirk needs to travel back in time in order to fulfill the prophecy. He plays Kirk's captain's log recording about how the Enterprise tried to leave the planet, attempted a dangerous time warp, which failed, and they did not. They were not allowed to leave the planet, but they only traveled back in time, distant past, and crash. Kirk refuses to help, and a fight ensues with Kirk and the weaker-robed descendants of the Enterprise. Eventually, Kirk stuns them all, and the rest of the crew arrive in some borrowed cloaks that they were able to take from their guards. The Enterprise crew travels back to the Enterprise, which is having trouble escaping the planet, just as it did in the recordings. Instead of attempting the dangerous time warp again, which they now know will not work, they try a much more dangerous slingshot maneuver around the planet reaching a very low altitude and igniting the atmosphere around them so that it looks like there's a huge fireball around the ship. The plan works, and they are able to leave the planet, but somehow also find out that they've traveled hundreds of light years in a matter of seconds. Spock speculates that when they did not crash and do the time warp, then the monitoring station would have never called Kirk away from his mission. So therefore, 
the Enterprise has returned back into the place that they would have been if they were never sent to investigate the message. They discuss how the only people to ever know that they had descendants is the Enterprise crew itself. And then there's some talk about how memory is the only true path to immortality. The end. Interesting point about it being memory being the only path to true immortality. You know, it's you, a lot of times at the end of Star Trek stories, there's something to think about at the end. And it's like I started thinking about that at the end and becoming a little depressed. Because in the long run, how long are you really remembered? I mean, right. you know, grandkids will remember me, but great-grandkids? No. Right. And then you go beyond that? Eh, unless you're a president or something, or somebody of great, you know, a great scientist or something, you won't be remembered. So, you know, right. don't want to be a downer, but, you know, most of us won't be remembered very long. Yeah, yeah. I, I've thought about that often, you know, unless unless you're, you know, the William Shatners of the world are going to be immortal because we're going to always somebody's always going to be watching these these shows and probably and uh, but the, uh, you know, the Donovans of the world. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. We got maybe two generations and then that's it. <laughs> we're just going to be some random photo in an album or something somewhere that oh yeah i think i think that's great granddad donovan <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> no it's sad yeah. it's 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 sad when you think about it that way yeah so let's try not to anyway just, <laughs> i just wanted to mention that right um so when i first heard that there's a, a signal with Kirk in it that came from the center of the galaxy. I immediately thought, what is this tying into Star Trek five or something, which didn't even happen yet. It's like, uh, wow. It's like, that wasn't that good a movie uh, and they're tying into it maybe. So, but that wasn't it. That was not it. No. So you've often kind of joked around that perhaps John Byrne hasn't watched any other Star Trek other than the original series. Oh Yeah. You know, we've we've had giggles about mm -hmm. it and stuff. Yeah. But uh, there is a Deep Space Nine episode entitled Children of Time. Mm -hmm. It was from the fifth season of Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. in which the Defiant crashes. arrives to a planet to find out that in the future it will crash on that planet, in, but in the past of the planet. So it's pretty much the exact same story right. where – they have the decision. They have the the decision that if they prevent themselves from crashing and going back in time, then they will basically be erasing all these children and grandchildren that they've had mm -hmm. um, out of existence. Mm -hmm. Which is a great episode. It's it was a fantastic episode then, but retelling it, but with the these visuals and um, these characters, I mean, it, it didn't add anything to that to that type of story you know yeah so having kirk wrestle with the idea of you know if i do this then these people will never exist um it didn't have the same weight that when cisco was you know having to really make that call because right because here kirk doesn't even seem to think about it like well, I'm, i don't care if you exist or not i'm getting out of here yeah. Um, yeah even though you're my distant lineage somewhere is a direct descendant of kirk well, in, in director is Senator Kirk, but yes. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. All of them are. Yep. So he, he he had the, you know, and this is several generations where at least on Deep Space Nine, I think it was like two generations. So it was yeah. like 60 years or something. But to here, we're, we're talking about a thousand years, you know, he what did they say? 40 or 80 generations of people yep. that Kirk doesn't even bat an eye saying, well, well I'm not going to crash <laughs> the ship because 200 of my crew are going to die when the saucer section lands. So I'm going to try to save those 200 people yeah. and wipe out 80 generations of a civilization. Well, 80 generations of a mutated humanity on a planet with such radiation that life is bad. And they really don't like have a census to know how many people have actually survived. Um that population could very well be in decline. Um, sure. So, I mean, how they lasted a thousand years with that radiation that was supposedly going on, I question and kind of so. Mm, does that make? Does that really make sense? They could survive that long, but I think the, I think they're trying to get the, cr- across the point. The projection here is they're going to die out eventually. Right, but these people they didn't want to not exist. Right. So he was very adamant that you need to do this. Well, at first, in order for me to exist. At first. What do you mean at first? He still wanted him to go even at the end when. I, I well he I thought they let him. I thought they stopped fighting and let Kirk return and everything. I thought I thought yeah, the leader had a change of said, heart. No, he, he, the leader says. Uh, oh, go you have to go because you have to go. Yeah. That's all part of the prophecy. The crash must occur, so he lets him go. Right. Good point. Yeah. And then yeah. So my... why were they even fighting in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. I mean, it was just like I guess in their history they knew that the uh, that they would find Kirk, right? Because it was in the the prophecy that they would find him on that day, you know. So. In their history, they knew it was going to happen. Yeah. So when it did happen, then they were like all happy, I guess, because it's like, oh, we're doing our part. We've waited eighty generations to to do this for our ancestors. Yeah. So why did he and, shoot him? Uh, Why'd they shoot him in the first place? Because they were told that's what they had to do. Well, I don't know. Okay. Well. Yeah. So so it doesn't. So, make so they if they you're didn't handle. To think about this they too didn't. Hard, it makes zero they sense. didn't handle first contact very well. <laughs> Anyway, now if you think about it, why, why did the original Enterprise? You know, there's always that, especially the way this ended. Yeah. Oh, we're back to where we were because we were never called to go back. Right, 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 right. So, okay, so if you're if that's your excuse on how everything wrapped up at the end, then why did the very first Enterprise ever go back in there to crash in the first place? If there never was a, a message. There never, you know, you know what I'm saying. So how did the the creepy dude with the mask have the communicator if he never existed to have the communicator to go back in time? Oh yeah, it's it's the good old fashioned <laughs> time travel paradoxes. And then what, what happened at the end of the uh, what the legions of legion of superheroes and and Star Trek crossover? You know, Q at the end says, oh, here comes that paradox. And then everything gets magically reset. I mean, you know, every author potentially deals with those paradoxes differently. 
So this is just the way. Burns doing it. Don't think too much. Anyways, I, I thought ultimately, uh, you know, regardless of their quality of life, they wanted to exist. Yes, they did. And Kurt just made the decision to save myself and and my crew, two hundred of my people. Yeah. I'm going to wipe out a whole civilization. And then he's like, "Well, a, civil- a civilization yeah. that shouldn't have came to be." Who's to say that? Well, Kirk. And sometimes you need somebody to make the call, and Kirk's always there to make the call. You should at least weigh the consequences. He he doesn't even weigh the consequences. Well, how do you know he doesn't? It never once. Now, mind you, he's only spending he's spending a half a minute weighing them. But I'm sure he is weighing the consequences. Just maybe not as much as we'd like. I mean, any, any decision maker, of course, weighs the consequences. I mean, I hope. I certainly hope our new mm. president will weigh, weigh the consequences before he does things. I certainly hope so, but, yeah. Right. Anywho, I thought it was uh, a little cavalier. At least, like I said, that Cisco episode, he he really had to give it some thought. Sure. And, you know, the people that he would wipe out of existence, obviously, they didn't want to not exist. Well, yeah, and, and the people there, it was probably – it was a thriving society. They were all mutated. Um, you know, it looked like probably like a real valid colony. Right. So that, that would, that would make it even harder for Cisco to come to that decision. And easier in this case for Kirk to come to the decision. Well, we don't know what these people look like. Yes, they got little, they got blue hands and they wear robes and stuff and they are physically weaker than, than Kirk and them are, but we don't know that they are unhappy. Well, okay, happiness. Happiness is is. I did not even bring up happiness. I'm bringing up the fact that when they're looking at the buildings of the city, um, Spock makes the comment about the sameness of what's here, the homo, uh, the homogeneous nature of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, lack of evolution, lack of change. Um, he's making the statements, this looks like a society in decline. Or a civilization in decline. Not growing. So we have the right to well, make sure it never existed. Well, it, okay. Does it make well, sense? It does make sense if it comes to the point where you have to weigh. Uh, is it important to save half my crew? Or close to half my crew? Or have this civilization, which is in decline and may very well die out. Or could have had 80 generations of some very happy timeline. So oh. who, who, how could you make that call so easily where you're just like, I'm going to save my people from this ship. We may blow up the next time we meet a Klingon, but <laughs> I, I, to me, that's more important to give them that chance of maybe these 200 people blowing up the next time we see a Klingon versus wiping out 80 generations of people. Huh? Okay, yeah. 
I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, that, that's he, that's an argument that could be made. He did not weigh the. He did not How weigh do you know the he didn't weigh the few for the way the needs of the many. Oh, okay, well, I think. Th- that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Two hundred people versus <laughs> who knows how many people are in this. Uh, you know, in the survivors. Did anybody mention how many life forms were in that city? I don't think so. Now or ever? Now well, or for the last one thousand years. Because you're wiping them all. Well, not just the handful that might still be there today. Fine. Fine. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And you don't know that Kirk didn't weigh it. He nope. he did. You know, I I know he did. Well, it's, this is all make up, made up. But <laughs> of course he weighed it. It's just that he may not have given much weight to the the descendants. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's obvious in his decision. Yeah. Okay, so he did make a decision, which well, which indicates no. that he weighed things. No, his decision – all we know is that he felt like his safety uh, and his uh, status quo was more important than this civilization. Yes. That's all we know. We don't know how he came to that conclusion. We don't know what he weighed. All we know is that what his decision was, which was I'm not going to go back in time uh, and uh, – create this civilization that's all we know you agree well he was in the past he was already into the past so he decides he's not going to create this uh civilization that's what he decided yeah right yes yes he's going to put his he's going to put his we don't know he's going to value his crew over the descendants yes yeah but we don't know why he came to that was it just because well, he didn't? Uh, well, they no, they they think he was going to get any more green women to fall in love with him if he goes back in time and well, stick with whoever lives off the ship. Okay, so you wanted to see a couple pages where Kirk and McCoy and Spock could debate over this. I would have, yes. yeah. I would have rather had that than random pages at the beginning where it's like, "Hey, so and so, this is the ship you're on now. Good to see you again, buddy." Oh, I'm glad I put in that medical order for you to get off the Enterprise. All that at the beginning was you just filler when, when you could have put in some real meat at the end where you actually have him debating whether or not you should wipe out a whole civilization of people for the safety of somebody that's living now. That That's all I'm saying. I would have rather seen I would that. Have liked it. I would have rather sure. seen that. Yep. Okay. He could have and... still come up to the same – you know he has to come to the same conclusion because he has to still be in the right timeline. But I would have liked to have seen a, a little, little bit more of the thought process. Right. Yes. A little debate about it. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been better. And I can see Byrne going, you know, this this star this uh, star base, the inside of the star base um, is working out pretty good. I want to stick here for a little while. So let's, uh, <laughs> you know, let's have a little discussion going on. Let's stick. Let's stay here a little bit longer. Right. Putting a bunch of small talk in the first like ten pages, exactly. and then later it. when we really need more detail, I'm just gonna. Now, now I will say the uh, Enterprise and a fireball swinging around the the, the planet that like looked that looked pretty cool. Looked fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. And obviously, something we've never seen in the show. Yeah. Enterprise was never on fire in any of the original shows. So, uh, yeah, is the... this where you were talking about where he? Took something that was from the show and then enhanced it so much that, uh, you know, with the fire and everything that. Or were you just really just talking about the people? Uh, oh, just, just in general. In, I'm talking about in general. 
I, I was really actually thinking of the Starbase, and I said it. Um, okay. You know, the inside of the Starbase, obviously, he pieced together bits and pieces to some degree from the Enterprise Bridge and extended it into a much bigger area uh, that we no- don't normally see that big an area with instruments and stuff, except maybe in engineering. But, you know, he kind of pieced that together like, like, like a really big Enterprise Bridge. Um, I, that's what I was thinking of mainly. But yeah, this, mm. you know, his um, his taking stock footage of the Enterprise and then in mucking with it and enhancing it and putting it on fire and then putting that on top of uh, a star field in the background at the top and then, you know, the stock, like, desert landscape on the bottom. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he, he's digging this stuff. He's He's doing a, a good job of putting all the stuff together. Yeah. No, I liked it. Visually, I thought this was a great-looking book. Yeah. I mean, which this is so much harder than the original paperbacks that inspired Burn. Right. Because that really was just, yep. Here's a, here's a still. Slap it in, and let's put some sound bubbles there, or some dialogue bubbles. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I would think that this would have to be harder than normal traditional artwork, too, because you have to find just the right facial expression mm-hmm. you can't just draw it right right yep. and uh, uh it's yeah every time i read one of these uh you know your initial glance you're like oh it's it always kind of takes me out a little bit like oh it's a it looks a little odd but then once you start getting into it and you the story's good and you and you get engaged in the i mean it is like watching an, an episode yeah. where you're like you're seeing Shatner and McCoy and everybody having their conversations yep. just like they would on the show. Yeah, the, the last page of this story is perfect. So they got uh, Sulu talking to Kirk on the bridge, and you know, you know, Sulu's mouth is open in the shot, and it's just perfect. Uh, it, it looks like they had to superimpose at least McCoy into that shot, but it all looks so right in that panel. And then the next one shows Spock and McCoy talking. That looks so right. Uh, Kirk actually contemplating about uh, immortality and whatever. That, you know, at the con, you know, the look on his face is perfect. You know, it's it's just mm-hmm. great. It's great. No, I like yeah. it. Kudos. All right. To Mr. Byrne. Well, shall we move to the last story, Let's do which it. is uh, a much shorter story. Great. Um, but also with a lot of... Uh, a lot of good Th- these stories aren't superficial just fluff right yeah whereas the you know the the waypoint those stories were were pretty superficial stories right even though we talked about data being everywhere or whatever but they these stories to me just like man these have weight to them like especially with that last one 80 generations versus 200 people right um and and, and this one to a, a smaller degree has has some weight to it too so yeah let, let's go ahead and go into it. So this one is called Sweet Sorrow. It's, uh, again, written and uh, photo montaged by John Byrne. So uh, the Enterprise arrives at planet Elsinore H25 to pick up an injured man who just happens to be Rand's former fiance. Uh, we see Rand uh, speaking with Ahura, discussing how worried she is. And, you know, uh, even though uh, Andrew 
who is the gentleman. They broke up years ago. She still now realizes that maybe she still has feelings for him. Uh, so Andrew is going through a very complicated surgery with McCoy. Uh, later, McCoy informs her that the surgery was uh, successful to a degree, that his uh, brain was able to be saved, but not much of anything else. So Rand then makes the decision to leave the Enterprise to stay with Andrew to see to his care. She and Uhura and a few other women, um, various women from Star Trek, uh, the original series, uh, they, they, they talk and everybody seems kind of surprised that Rand is leaving the ship because they always assume that she and the captain would hook up. Uh, and then Rand informs them that uh, the captain hasn't even talked to her since she put in her request. So on the transporter pad, she's about to beam away when Kirk arrives. Uh, he just stands there, doesn't say a word. They they look at each other, and then she requests energize, and she disappears. And then Kirk simply turns around and leaves the transporter room. The end. Cool little story. Uh, I'm I'm very happy to see so many female members of the crew in the story. And um, now we know why Rand left, or at least an explanation why she left, which we never got right. in the uh, series. We never got, no. No, no I liked it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is just me, you know, with my everything has to fit hat on. Uh -huh. But, you know, in those Marvel comics way back when, the first run of Marvel... Uh, it did show that Rand was engaged to a little brain inside of a little uh, pyramid. Thing. Oh my god! <laughs> so in that one, they kept saying that it was a incorporeal being. Yes. But what if it was Andrew, and that he got zapped with the uh, galactic barrier uh, voodoo powers? Hmm. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> in that episode. No, 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 Rand no, okay. and her husband hold in that it, little it, pyramid it, went to it, the galactic border. In that comic got... issue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So I'm just saying, <sighs> Rand has a thing for people without bodies. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> no, he has, in this story, he has a body. It's just, I guess, not useful anymore. Right. And look at him. There's a photo of him. He and her, you know. Uh, which they show in one of the panels. So, you know, obviously, it's guy, human, you know. Sure. It's not but Mr. Not incorporeal, whatever. He's not incorporeal. Yeah. He didn't say that, right? He's just got a dead body or something. Got a dead body. But you could easily see how they might take that brain out of that dead body and put it into a little pyramid. A little pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 well. Okay, well that you know that's what a drag for Rand, and mm -hmm. um, what a self piece of self sacrifice, which apparently eventually came to an end, and she went back to Starfleet because we see her later right. in the movies. Right, and she becomes first officer on uh, Excalibur, yeah. or not Excalibur, uh, Excelsior. Yes, yes, in the expanded universe. No, in Star Trek Six. Yes, yes, that's right. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So she was. Uh, anyways, she was looking a little thick back then. But yes. 
they were all looking thick older <laughs> yeah that's true let's look at spotty scotty and uh kirk okay anyway so back to what you were saying i really liked uh you know how all these women just came in and was like oh rand uh here you're leaving even though you know some of them you w- weren't in the first season of the show right. they sh- but you recognize their faces like oh yeah she's in such and such episode later yeah right. all the macgyvers right Right, but wasn't there – there was one earlier that came in with Ahura who who I couldn't quite place her, but I knew that she wasn't first. Yeah, she's her. really cute. Um, who, what which episode was she, was she from? I'm trying to think of which episode she was in. Oh, yeah. She was the one that was in Shore Leave, and Shore Leave was first season. Was yep. it? Mm. Yeah, she was the one with McCoy and, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the knight or whatever, the – the guy on the horse. That was that was first season and not four, third. Oh no! Not all the bad ones were third. <laughs> sure, leave was in uh, was in first season. It definitely was not in third season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, okay, so that might not have been the best episode in the world, but that was not a third season bad episode. <laughs> Whatever you need to tell yourself, Dan. <laughs> to get through the day. Yeah. I, did I tell you why I finally sat through all of uh, Spock's brain? Because oh. you're, <laughs> you're always bad-mouthing it, and I was like, you know what? I need to rewatch it. Oh, and so what do you think? It's bad, but for different reasons than I always remembered it being bad. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. I totally forgot about the whole society where all the men lived up on the surface and the women were like mindless slaves working for the computer uh, underground and that the men would come down to experience pleasure and pain and they didn't know where babies came from and all that stuff. I had forgotten all of that. All I ever remembered was McCoy doing surgery on Spock's brain while Spock told him how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But out of the whole show. Well, that's the worst part. That's so I great. I wouldn't say that's the worst part. Um, that is the most ludicrous, ridiculous, stupid, makes no sense part of that episode. And that's why it sticks with you. <laughs> well, regardless, I now have different things that will stick with me now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not saying it's the only thing stupid about the episode. Jim, <laughs> they've taken his brain. Yes. And then they were able to make him a uh, remote control spot. Yeah. So had a little the body. They could still move the body yeah. around with a remote control. Beep, beep, yeah, beep, with that beep, little beep, thing beep, on his head. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so funny and so bad. And I didn't remember any of it. It was all like – it was all new to me. Okay, so now that you've actually seen it again, uh, where would you rank it in the Pantheon of Taz episodes? Well, it's not as good as City as at the Edge of Forever. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Might be better than Shore Leave. No! Oh, that's BS. Absolute BS. Shore Leave was maybe not a great episode, but it and was all good. all the Alice in Wonderland. Well, that was plot, cute. Or... I see, I didn't think it, it was, was all cute. manufactured. It, was just... it, it at least Anyways. at least the basis of the of the thing was that this was Disneyland for the aliens and they could manufacture anything. And if they can manufacture anything 
and the human mind, and they could read your mind, uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities there. And I guess it includes uh, furry rabbits. Right, right. That are late. Well, what about Finnegan? Uh, Kirk bringing Finnegan out of his subconscious or his memories. So that they can fight? Exactly. Yeah. Eh, didn't like it. <laughs> but you liked it. <laughs> You liked it less than Spock's brain? Are you being funny? Well, I remember it more than I remembered Spock's brain before I rewatched yeah. it. So now that I've rewatched Spock's brain, I keep thinking, well, maybe it was better than that one. I don't know. I'd have to watch them all again. <laughs> <laughs> the original series is so hit or miss for me that uh, I, there's there's parts in all of them that I love, and then there's other parts in them that I – I guess I forced myself to forget. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. But anyway, so this issue, I really liked that last page where they just stare at each other and she kind of does that head tilt thing looking at him. And then she just turns away and says, energize that, that to me, that page was very moving that she, maybe she did think that they were going to get together. And then that was her finally giving up on him. Right. Kirk. You? Yeah, that that was great. Then the the looks on her face, the looks on his face, um, especially that last one before he turns to go, you know, into the hall. Yeah, he's obviously not happy. Yeah. So all in all, I liked the story, and I liked how, you know, she was wrestling with a decision. Yes. You know, he he's a brain now, so she's also taking a huge leap that. Is he going to feel the same way for her if if he does ever get to communicate? But if he like, hey, I, I was over you like two years ago. Why, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. She's following her heart, and, and I commend her for it. Yes. Very admirable thing to do. So how'd you like the uh, USS Gregory? The ship, of course. The medical ship. A very interesting looking ship. Looks like a Happy Meal toy. <laughs> well, it it looks like it's definitely it's not drawn. I mean, it actually looks like it's a physical model that somehow Byrne was able to cobble together, or it got somebody to cobble it together. Right. Yeah. It looks like it looks like a Happy Meal toy. Yeah. Just just with the because it looks plastic. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought it was actually pretty cool. I kind of would have liked to have seen more of yeah. it. Okay, so there's there's basically no neck. So actually, in some ways, it's kind of advanced. It's kind of like the Enterprise-E in the fact that there's basically no neck between the secondary and primary hulls. Uh, it's just all one kind of stuck-together thing. Um, really short nacelle pylons. Stubby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Reminded me more of Voyager, like yeah. being a... Uh, early prototype of what the Voyager design would right. be. Which is more of like a scout type vehicle. Yeah. Science physical versus uh, a battleship. But it's interesting because back in this time period there's no ship that doesn't have a neck. Well, okay, Reliant doesn't. But, but that's not Taws. Reliant was not around in the Taws TV show time frame. Right. Did they ever show another Interpro- uh, another Federation ship that wasn't Constitution class? Eh, they were all Constitution class. Yeah, although, cool. although you know, there's some art 
kind of things that people put together that show like a single nacelle one, which looks pretty, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it basically is the Enterprise minus a secondary hull and minus, uh, basically the nacelle is where the secondary hull is, and that's it. Right, right. So, you, you know, you've seen some of those. But you never saw that in the uni- show. Like a unicycle. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty bad, actually. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, in the show, everything was a Constitution class. Right. They just didn't have the or money. Starship class. Uh, y- yes. Yeah, so in the original pilot, they were considered s- Starship class. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And then I think, like, when they first started producing, like, Blueprints and stuff. That's how they always referred to it. Oh, as. Constitution class. Okay. Yeah. So that's something. Well, they, they referred to. I think they referred to it as Starship class at first. I don't know when they started referring to it as Constitution class. <sighs> I probably should know this, but I don't. I don't know for a fact they ever called it Constitution class in the show. But I'm pretty sure I never heard them talk refer to it as a as a Starship class. If they ever talked about a class. In the show, the original show, I'm pretty sure they never called it the Starship class. Right. I agree. Yeah. They probably didn't call it a class anything. Nope. Yeah. It wasn't until much later when people needed more. Uh, exactly. Well, if there's multiple types, you got to be able to have some kind of classification for, for ships that are the same type. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, they can't all look the same? Man. It might have been the Star Trek II when they first introduced a – they had to have a Reliant class versus mm-hmm. a Constitution class. Anywho. Maybe. But uh, as you mentioned, Star Trek blueprints. I had a full mm-hmm. set of Star Trek blueprints, uh, which showed the Taws era stuff, phasers, ship, you know, whatever. And uh, it did call it Constitution class. And I think that might have been before any of the movies started. Or maybe it wasn't. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to find that thing again, look at a uh, production, you know, a published date to know for sure. Right. But I still have them. They're in a box somewhere. I know it. Anyway. Cool. So I I used some of those blueprints to make a uh, phaser out of cardboard. Did you really? And it was... To scale. To scale. Because I had the blueprints right there. Right. So I was able to uh, fabricate it out of cardboard, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Oh, that's awesome. A little fragile, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> still got it? No, I don't still have it. <laughs> no. No, I do not still have it. That's too bad. Yeah. I wish I had a photo of it. Oh, well. Okay, so that's it. I thought it was a nice uh, a nice story, Sweet Sorrow. Um, it was yep. good. But not a lot more to say because it wasn't that long. Right. Now, I thought, I thought all these stories were good. So yeah. I know that I was bashing on them a little bit, but, um, you know, never at any point while reading these, I was wishing that I was reading something else. Right. Which, which does happen on occasion. I can't always say that. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, I can't say that I always agree with the way the story went. But that doesn't mean that I didn't like the story. Right. So just just wanted to throw that disclaimer out there. Sounds good. All right. So uh, next week, Ken, are we going back to uh, DC Comics land to try to finish off that uh, 
we should do that. Too long. We should do that. Let's do that. All right, sounds good. Okay. So next week we will be back with uh, issues 52, 53, and 54 of the first run of the DC Comics line. Cool. Yeah, it'll. So we should be getting pretty close to the end of that one. Right. Good story. I like those issues, and it'll be you know it's kind of nice when you can check do the checkbox. Yeah, a, but it's always bittersweet because you're always it's bittersweet. Yes, this. but we're done. We won't come back to these, at least on the show. But right. But then again, it's also nice check towards our goal of reviewing every comic book Star Trek story ever published. Ever published. Ever. So next week we'll do those those three. 52 through 54. Mm-hmm. Um, the following week, we should do 55 and 56, which will finish it off. Oh. And then there's that annual. So uh, we we skipped one of the annuals, so we'll need to go back and do that one too. So, And then we'll be done. So we got two more weeks of DC Comics Volume 1, okay. and then we will be done with everything except uh, the UK strips, IDW, and Gold Key. <laughs> okay. Kind of sad. That's really yeah. sad now that I think about yeah. it. We'll probably have a, a, another waypoint we could do. Um, and of course, we still have a whole bunch of the new visions. Oh, we got tons of IDW stuff yeah. we've skipped over. So we, we'll still be pretty busy with what we have yeah. left. And okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.